And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, so much for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably and helping us to get these awesome, awesome episodes out. So we, lo- we love ourselves in Fullscale. I am Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And today we have with us... Um, an amazing thought leader in a space that I don't think gets enough attention. And so I'm very excited to to talk to Carolyn Hammond today. And Carolyn is CEO and founder of Safe in Harm's Way. Uh, Safe in Harm's Way is a domestic violence support initiative. And Carolyn does a lot of work and is just establishing herself as an amazing uh, support and an amazing thought leader in the space of domestic violence and helping men and women overcome some really difficult and traumatic circumstances. And so, so really excited to talk to Carolyn today. Carolyn, thank you so much for being with us here. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, so we're going to, we're going to hop right into it. And in the first question that I am going to ask you is I, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your journey. How did you, how did you get here? Thank you for asking the question because To me, I am the accidental salesperson and the accidental entrepreneur. And that for me stemmed from having a career by by necessity. So I started off my my career as my children were little. You know, right now I have a 28-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 22-year-old. And I made choices in my career based on allowing me to stay home with them, but still remain active in just bringing home a paycheck. And over the course of that, I started selling accounting products to colleges and university. So if you have taken uh, the CPA exam, most likely you have taken the review course, which is Becker Convisor CPA Review. And back in the day, about 28 years ago, I was selling that course to colleges and universities across the uh, Midwest. And as I did that, and as my children got older, the lead instructor of the program said to me, you know, I think your talents could be used uh, in better better areas. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I think, you know, you're a natural born salesperson. I said, I am not a salesperson. That's ridiculous. I just do this thing on the side so I can bring home a paycheck and work around my kid's schedule. And he said, no, no, I, I think you do. He said, how about I take your resume and give it to my old college roommate who works in pharmaceuticals, because I think you'd be a fabulous pharmaceutical sales rep. And I said, but I've stayed at home and done this little gig for 10 years. You know, what, what do I have to bring to the equation? And he said, um, let's let him massage it. So he did. So this random gentleman that I, that I had met and got to know 
approached me and that's how I accidentally got into pharmaceutical sales where I have been for over 25 years and made a huge success out of it because someone saw in me, which is, is a lesson that I've taken forward, potential, took that potential, put me in front of the expert that said, help this woman craft her resume, give her interview skills, teach her how to, to network within this industry. And so I did it. And that accident brought me to a successful 25-year career in sales and working with Fortune 500 companies throughout my career. And then what happened as I started to eat, my life evolved and changed. And about four and a half years ago, I had to escape from a domestic abuse situation. So I, I escaped from violence and I went into hiding. And when I came out of that, people again rose to the challenge and said, I think your entire sales career has been the junior high education for what you can do to change the world because you're working on some pretty significant things to help other survivors. And I think you could turn that into a nonprofit. And I think you could take those skills and turn them and become an entrepreneur in the areas of what you can take skill-wise and what you know about domestic violence and apply that to corporations and help corporations see the value of having domestic violence policies, of advocating on behalf of their employees who are currently dealing with, with domestic abuse. And most importantly, identify who within their ranks are using company resources and tools that are provided by the company in order to issue abuse. So there, I have become not only a salesperson, which I never thought I would be, but now at 52 years old, I am becoming an entrepreneur, which I never thought I would be. And it has evolved into this journey where the skills that I took for granted that were inherent in me were identified by other people and said, let me help you do that better. And that is something, whether it's with... Um, Safe in Harm's Way or with our new division that's going to be for employers called Epizon Strategy Solutions, I intend to take the other people. Our biggest tagline is join us, take our hand, and let's go change the world and move people along to become their best selves after either experiencing abuse or extreme change or maybe identifying and building your confidence in the middle of a pandemic. All of those life situations that could affect you both personally and professionally and providing the tools that would allow people to live their best lives, pivot in the face of that change and then thrive and move forward. So I am the happy accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> I love that. Well, and so what I find really, really interesting in your story, I, I find a lot of things interesting in your story, um, but I, I find it so impressive that you were able to draw on what many would consider to be a traumatic life experience and, and turn that outward into like you're, you're taking something that deeply affected you as part of your journey and you're able to manifest that in your life in a way that is productive and helpful and it it's really um, beneficial for so many others. Well, so, so let's talk a little bit more about this, this remaking your life thing, mm -hmm. because it's something that you experienced personally, 
I mean, you, you've done it. You mentioned you've done it in several, at several points in several different ways, and now you're helping others to do it. So, so talk to us a little bit about what that was like, and then how you're able to draw on your own experiences to help others do the same. Sure. You know, when I made the choice to escape my abuser, it was four weeks outside of our already planned for, already paid for wedding elopement to New York City. And four weeks shy of that, when I discovered that the person who claimed to love me was living a completely secret, devious, disease-filled life, I chose to implement an escape plan. Now, inherent in implementing that escape plan, which took six months to fully implement and execute, I got very small. I got really very small, and I took myself off social media. I didn't know who to trust, so I stopped friendships. I hunkered down, you know, went from a 4,000-square-foot house to a tiny 750-square-foot apartment buried in the back so that it would be very difficult to find me. And getting small taught me two things. The first thing it taught me was me being so full of shame because here I am. At the time I escaped, I was number one in the country for my company that is a Fortune 100 company. I was number one salesperson. And so I was going to work being a rock star every day. And my home life was absolutely devastating. And I was hiding those bruises, both physically and mentally. And I was going to work and be a rock star. And I didn't choose to tell anybody about that. Um, and I had an instance when you when you escape, one of the facts of escaping is the consequences of living with abuse often mean you have to travel to multiple doctor appointments, multiple lawyer appointments, um, courthouses. You're doing things you never anticipated in your life you were doing. And I, I remember being in a doctor's office. And of course, I'm dressed in my professional garb. Um, I, you know, I've got my power suit on. I've got my heels on. Um, I, I, but I had a doctor's appointment and I was saying to the nurse, to the young nurse, she was about probably 23, 24 years old, telling her how, uh, why I was there and telling her what had happened to me. And it was probably one of the first times I had spoken it out loud outside to anyone, but my immediate family who had to help me escape and the look on her face. And she said, you this happened to you? And I said, yes. And she started to cry. And she said, that happened to me too. And it was this moment of domestic violence has zero stereotypes. There is not a person you can look at. And we, we often say this at Safe and Harm's Way. And it's one of our biggest hashtags, because you never know. You will never know the rock star woman who goes to work every day and hides the bruises from home because she's not going to talk about it. And my talking about it with that woman made me realize if I can start speaking my truth with confidence about what happened, I can impact people. And I, I use the, the female pronoun because this is my story. I realize this can happen to men. I can realize this can happen in communities where people identify themselves in whatever pronoun they choose but I, I'll use the female pronoun because this is my story. 
but I could, I could make the impact on people's lives by telling my story. And it was the first time after escaping abuse and living in fear that I decided, uh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. The second instance that happened was in the process of getting a restraining order and sitting in the courthouse or sitting in the, the, the office of adult abuse and filling out my second restraining order, not because I went back, but because the, uh, the stalking and the abuse continued uh, for a long time after I left. And another woman came in and she was sitting across from me. So I'm still new right in my journey. I'm about nine months, maybe 12 months post-escape, still pretty new, still pretty scared all the time. And this woman came in and she sat down and she started to fill out her forms. And I could just, I could smell the fear. I could smell the sadness. And I was looking at her and I was thinking, oh my gosh, you're me. You're me. Just, you know, less than a year ago. And she looked at me and she said, I don't know how to fill out this form. I can't remember my name. And that drove me back to the first weeks of my escape where I actually had to write my name on a post-it note because of all the visits, as I said, doctors, lawyers, judges. There were times people asked my name that I couldn't, the trauma brain can't comprehend that. I had to write my name on a post-it note. And so I, that only fueled my fear um, and my sadness at that situation. And she just kept repeating, he threw hot coffee in my face. He, he, threw, I, he threw hot coffee in my face. And I was so scared at her fear and sadness that I just opened my purse. I dumped every single resource out in a, in, and I said, here's everything you need. And I just gave it to her like shuffling card decks. And I ran out of the office. And I, I got to my car and I was, I could not stop crying. I called my former husband who throughout this whole time helped me and his children escape my abuser. And I said, I, I left this woman. I can't bring myself to go back. And he said, what did you expect to do? And I said, I should have, I should have taken her hand. I should have sat next to her. And I should have said, let me help you fill out this form. And I couldn't even drive home. He had to talk me down. And, and that started right then what our biggest tagline is, which is join us, take my hand, let's go change the world. Because I will never again leave a sobbing woman who cannot remember her name alone to fill out paperwork when she cannot remember her name. And so I will ask, I will sit next to people. I will say, can I hold your hand? Can I help you? Let me, let me help you change your world. So those two things were the foundational pillars, speaking my story authentically to a, another soul and then deciding that I would never leave another person behind were what catapulted into the future the, the foundation of Safe and Harm's Way and now Epicenter Strategy Solutions, because we will, one person at a time, invest at whatever lane you're currently in in navigating abuse 
to change your change your life, take your hand and change the world one person at a time so that that person can go on and positively impact their world and anyone that comes into it. And those people can go on to impact others positively. And before you know it, we have created an ever expanding web of goodness that changes the world one person at a time in whatever method you need to heal and move forward. Wow, that is quite a story. Thank you so much for oh, I, I always greatly admire people who can be vulnerable um, and, and authentic in telling their stories so that it can hopefully reach others. And so, so thank you for that. So I, I do want to ask you, because I feel like you, you, for a long time, you were two Carolyn's. You were this badass, you know, pharmaceutical sa- the sales rep who was just, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And, and then there was this private Carolyn who was experiencing really, really tough things. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about how you, you kind of integrated those two women um, you know, as part of your journey, but I, I really want to talk to you about how you were able to take b- the, both of those sides to become a leader. So if you were to give advice to maybe someone who's experiencing do- domestic violence, somebody who is experiencing fear and trauma, and you know, however that, that looks in their life, like what kind of advice would you give to them drawing on your own experience? Like, this is what I did to become the leader I am today and to put me on a path to, to be an example to others? I love that question because it speaks to the ability to use confidence and patience and truth. So let me tell you what I, I mean about that. When you're living in abuse, you have been dismantled from the inside out. And I think as women, I, I just watched this great, great um talk from uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who talked about, as women, we are encouraged and taught to be the caregivers. We're encouraged and taught to usher people along the way, meet them where they're at, um, allow them to be there, but influence our own self on people to change. And when you couple that, which is, you know, a divine femininity, and you, you couple that with intelligence and success in your career, you don't lose. You know, when you look at it as I will not lose this situation, I looked at my life, my personal life versus my my professional life as, well, my personal life, this this person is just my toughest customer. If I just work harder, because I'm a success in what I do, if I just work harder, then this person will change. Um, if I just show by example, as I've done in leading teams, as I've done in building teams, as I've done in taking other sales personnel and and helping catapult their careers, if I can just take those same skills and apply them at home to the person who claims to love me but is issuing abuse, certainly they'll stop because they're just my toughest customer and I never lose. So then you become this uh, toxic femininity where you just keep giving more of yourself. So to become a leader you really have to look at your skills. And much like there are certain customers, in, and for me, it's sales, right? So there are certain customers that I know, no matter what I've done, um, they're not, they're, they're, I'm not their cup of tea. I'm not their jam. 
this is not where they're going to play. That applies at home. If that person who I can have conversations with, with darn near the rest of the world and have them be positive, if there is a person in your life, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a family member, you can have a boundary that says, I'm not going, much like you would pivot from your customer, you can have a boundary in your personal life that says, I am not going to engage with you anymore. Um, my nephew, who's 16 now, we I use his term all the time. He would say, Aunt Caroline, I, I love dogs. Dogs are amazing. I love dogs best through a window and very far away. And that's a really good analogy to how you can use your leadership skills to define who in your world can be loved through a window and very far away. You put those boundaries in place because when you do, on the professional side, you find customers who completely dig you when you can take out those customers that you're not going to influence. On your personal life, you can the best people rise to the occasion and come into your life when you eliminate the people that should not be in your life because of how they're treating you. And that boundary you can decide is yours to own. Some other person may love whomever you're seeing through a window and far away, and God bless them, let them do it all day long. But you don't have to because your boundaries have been set to the point where their behavior is not tolerated or acceptable. I think often in my professional career about the number of times I put up with, with lewd remarks with people putting their hands on me that thinking because uh, they were one of my top producers that gave them the right to infringe on my body um, that I put up with because they were my customers. No, you don't get to anymore. This is something where when you start to be honest in your professional life and you say, this is what's happening to me people rise to that occasion as well. And the caveat to that is if you confide in someone and they don't rise to the occasion to offer assistance in, in dynamics and situations which are egregious, well, then you try to find another person that will help in solving those for you. So using those skills that you can implement in your professional life into your personal and vice versa starts to make you a leader. And doing so in a confident way, because you've used these skills, so you just keep practicing them. Next comes patience. Patience to find the right people to explain your story to, because not everyone is worthy of your story. Uh, I used to, when I was very new in my escape, boy, I was word vomit all over people because I was so sad and I was so scared. And people are, you know, deer in the headlights, shocked at, at the level of of inhumane treatment one person can issue to another and they don't know how to respond. So you have to find the patience to let your story forward a little bit at a time so you can discuss each component, but also the patience to find the right people to invest in and know that if you, if you don't find the right people, then you have two choices. One you should definitely do, which is find another person. You don't stop just because you didn't find the right person the first time. You don't stop. The second thing you do is say, who do you know that can help me? Is there someone you can refer me to? I went through several lawyers and getting protections. And every time I asked that question, 
if they couldn't help me, it wasn't their expertise. I said, who can you put me in touch with knowing what you know that can assist me now? And every single time those people rose to the occasion and they, they oftentimes without charging me, did some extra homework and got me to the next person. But you have to have, again, the confidence. You have to have the patience to keep finding the right people. If you don't find them, ask for who the next person is. And the final thing we'll get to is the truth. You have to speak the truth consistently to what happens, has happened to you. Even if your voice shakes, even if you're scared, speaking the truth is vital. So when you use those things, your leadership that had that probably if, if you've been on the, the toxic relationship or domestic violence and you've been dismantled from the inside out, as you start to do that more, you start to build your foundation. I always would picture big cement bricks that were filling me in the most perfectly placed puzzle people, puzzle pieces from my toes to my ankles to my head to my soul and the cement filling in those bricks where every time I chose to be confident, every time I chose to have patience and every time I chose to speak the truth, those, those cement bricks were layered in with a really great epoxy that held them in place. And using those visuals allowed my leadership skills to come back into play and allow me to find mentors who would assist me and then that, in my turn, makes me fully responsible to mentor and turn around and reach and take the hands of people who haven't yet been there or reached that, that space and teach them those skills to increase themselves back to a level where they can thrive in whatever lane of after they are in, both personally and professionally. Yeah. Well, that, that is some amazing advice, um, and I, I love how you're you're able to weave so many different parts of your story into that. So, so we're about to get tactical here, but really quickly, I would be remiss if I did not thank Full Scale for sponsoring this episode. Um, Fullscale.io, we love them, and they are able to help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And we'd just like to thank them for sponsoring this episode. Um, so, so let's, let's talk, let's talk tactics. So you talk about in harm's way and you talk about envision. Is, is it? Epizon. E-P-I-Z-O-N. No, that's okay. Epizon is the Greek word for survivor. So Epizon oh, wow. strategy solutions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so talk to us a little bit about that. So we, we've kind of talked a little bit about your leadership journey and kind of how you got here, but now let's talk about your day to day. What do you do? Uh, what does that look like? So currently, I am very fortunate to keep my paying job within pharmaceuticals, but I'm, I've gone into a specialty niche with that. So I deal, my paying job is I deal with people who have experienced trauma. If you have experienced a snake bite, I have the anti-venom. I am literally a snake oil salesperson. <laughs> um, I also deal with inpatient oncology settings in the face of emergency uh, toxicities, where if a chemotherapy, a patient undergoing chemotherapy needs assistance in removing that chemotherapy from their body, my antidote that I educate on removes all chemotherapy within 15 minutes. So I deal in very specialized niche 
areas um, in hospital and large healthcare systems. I do that um, all across Missouri, Kansas, and Nebraska. And I love my job and I, I don't have intentions of, of stopping because fortunately for my job, or unfortunately, I guess, depending on your work, you know, education for health systems in those arenas happens, you know, at a midnight shift, happens at breakfast, happens at, um, at dinner time. So I'm able to work my job at all hours of the day in order to get it accomplished. So I will still keep that. That's a typical day for me is, is to do education within health system settings on those products. My passion work, which is Safe and Harm's Way and Epizon Strategy Solutions, I do in the very early morning hours from about 4 a.m. until 7 a.m. And I do that uh, in the evening hours from around about 7 p.m. until 10, 10.30. And both those equations are great in that I still get to do what I'm passionate about, which is sales and developing salespeople and training. I'm sitting on the diversity and inclusion board with my company, and I get to be in their their leadership program that, that assists all employees across the world. So I'm fortunate in that. And then on my my passion work, uh, which is the Safe and Harm's Way in Epizon, then I have built a team that helps me because I want to keep my daytime job. So I have a team of volunteers. We have about 12 volunteers who take all of their specialties uh, and contribute to the content that we need to create because we're on ever, every social media platform. Our website's being developed still, but you know we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We have our Spotify station. And their expertise of our volunteers coincide what we call move moments of healing. And so we have an addiction specialist. We have a financial person who helps rebuild survivors' lives financially when most often that's been destroyed. We have people who talk about healthy eating because we know that what you can fuel your body with greatly contributes to how your brain works, how your body functions, how you heal and then thrive. We have people who are energy and Reiki healers that work within that um, with survivors as well. We have a mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation coach. So any form of healing that needs to take place for a complete person uh, is, is housed in those platforms. And what we've realized over the course of four years doing that, those same solutions can be brought to the workplace for people experiencing change, which is why we've instituted more of that within Epizon Strategy Solutions, because we know that in the workplace, especially now, when everything has changed within workplaces due to, to what's going on in the world with a pandemic, we are, are offering those same searches and services on how to heal to professionals, uh, because we also know we can reach them with our messages about domestic abuse in case you never know who might need to hear that. So working those on the day-to-day, -day, that's kind of how it, it's managing the team that, that's been built for Safe and Harm's Way. It's collaborating with people from across the world. We are worldwide. We have relationships in New Zealand, Costa Rica, the UK, and Canada. We are looking to expand more. So we do outreach to those areas. We work with training and development. We've got training and development uh, protocols in place and platforms in place to help people. So we 
develop all those relationships on those off hours and the weekends. The weekends are my prime time to get things done. And that's kind of the day-to-day of how it, it works is navigating all those contributors, navigating the relationships that help make us that way. And then I can continue to do what I do professionally, but then also be able to do the outreach and the continued development. My my sales career has taken on many forms as far as training and development and HR and human resource management. So I can take those skills and build out the training and build out the outreach and build out the connections while my team creates content within our move moments of healing so that we've got this multi-pronged offensive uh tactics against domestic violence. So it's a, it's a finally, I I liken it to, we've got great music playing and we look super cool dancing, but every time, every once in a while, the DJ skips a beat and we kind of fall. (laughs) We pick ourselves back up and we start dancing again. So it is, it is a great thing, but we run into glitches every now and again that we have to pivot on and we continue to do so. Let's talk, let, let's take the 10,000 mile view just really quickly. Um, and I, I want to kind of leave our listeners with this. So, so domestic violence, um, it, it's a serious problem. And it's something, I mean, I think that people are often uncomfortable talking about um, painful topics. You know, we, we, as a culture, sometimes have difficulty examining the things that we most need to examine. And so I want to give a little bit of context and, and probably should have done this um, a little earlier in the conversation, but what does the domestic violence landscape look like in the U.S.? Um, what, what's the impact? You know, if you're looking in the U.S., we have conservative estimates um, look at the problems that employers face with having to navigate domestic violence as co- a cost of over $55 billion, e, billion dollars. Wow. That's the impact to uh, retaining people who are affected by domestic violence. That has to do with, you know, the, the medical cost, the mental cost of, of counseling. It has to do with time off of work. It has to do with rehiring people should they leave. It has to do with most often the abuser does attempt to contact employers to try to disparage the person to further impact their ability to leave. You can't, it's harder to leave if you don't have a job. So those impacts are significant. We also know that only about 67% of companies in the U.S. have policies in place against domestic violence. And most often in the focus groups I've conducted, that is a yearly reminder tacked on to their diversity and inclusion or their overall sexual harassment policy that says, a, you know, two minute blurb about, oh, yes, we also think it's bad that women get abused. <laughs> and so, you know, there's not a whole lot of attention paid to it. So um, we we also know that worldwide, the World Health Organization considers violence against women an epidemic. And especially during COVID, there will be 32 billion incidences of an increase in domestic violence because of people having to shelter in place with their abuser or because their income has been impacted negatively because they no longer have a job or everybody's afraid of the world ending and they've gone out and purchased a gun. And we know that that means it's 500 more times, 500 times more likely that a woman will be killed by her abuser if there's a gun in the home. So we're looking at all these statistics and we're saying we have a need 
Now, here's the beauty. What, what we can do with the training and the development and the implementation is work with companies to say, let's look at your HR policy you have in place. What exactly do you mean? And here's how we can do it on a quarterly basis to, to positively impact your bottom line by keeping people employed. Because we know statistically, on a conservative estimate, 33% of the women in the world have experienced domestic violence. That means you are employing a lot of women. Again, the professional rock star women who cover the bruises and show up at work are the people not going to raise their hand to say, can you help me? Because to your point, Lauren, it's hard for people to talk about. But as a company, both as a retention and a recruitment tool, if you put out, we believe so strongly in this cause that here's how we're going to operate as a company you can tweak your HR and your benefits platform just a little bit to call to the forefront the benefits you have. And so that people don't necessarily have to raise their hand, you're offering that information proactively. And then the employees can take advantage of it. We also know statistically that if someone shows up to hurt, harm, kill their intended victim at the workplace, 20% of the time, they take out additional collateral. And additional collateral is other employees. So if, as an organization, you can have some pretty strong mechanisms in place to offer protection and services, you're not only doing it to the person who's navigating abuse, you're offering a safe workplace to everyone in your environment. So that's the, the things that we can have discussions around, and we can use storytelling in ways via case studies that say this is why this is important. Because again, confidence, patience, and the truth comes in here. If you do not pick the right way to have these conversations, and we've built the training around case studies, then everybody kind of gets the, oh, you know, the space that I don't want to hear about it. But if you can frame it up to say, here are some stories, here's how that applies to the workplace, it's it's more tolerable. And, And that I don't say that with disdain. I say that with in order to craft the message, I have to factor in my audience, much like I approach every single sales customer I have based on my audience and my approach to them is going to be tailored and specific. That same approach is going to go to employers in the workplace around domestic violence because I need the message to be heard. So it's going to be a carefully crafted way to go to market that allows people to empathize to look at storytelling, to identify similarities, and then implement what needs to happen for there to be change within the workplace. We're getting ready to wrap up here, so I'm going to have to ask you the silly question, the human question, and I, I'm going to take it as an inspiration. So, so, listeners, you can't see, but I can see Sharon's uh, office, or, you know, where she's having this podcast. In the background, I see really lovely artwork. And so, I'm going to ask you um, who's your, do you have favorite artists? Do you have favorite styles? Talk to us about, talk to us about your art. <laughs> I love that you you noticed that. My favorite artist is my Aunt Rose, who is in her 80s. She's in her 80s, and she paints all the time. In fact, she's still painting. And um, so she is my favorite artist. The, the other artwork you see is whenever I travel, and I've been very fortunate to get to travel the globe for work and, and training, uh, for work in my professional career and training for Safe and Harm's Way, 
Um, when I am in a city, I find the local artists and I talk to them about what they do, what their lives have been, and then I purchase their artwork. So all the artwork you're seeing have been okay. done by local artists in any country that I've visited. What a way to create really fantastic memories. Um, exactly. It's not just, you know, your standard, you know, I went to Belize and all I got was this t-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, and you know, the beauty is I get contact from them all the time. Carolyn, I've done this new artwork. Can I ship it to you? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> I love that. Well, well, Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to talk to us. And, and, and more importantly, thank you so much for doing the work that you do to protect and support some of the most vulnerable among us. I mean, it, it can't be easy work, certainly, but I, I, from what I hear and from the joy that I see on your face, it uh, must be fulfilling and it's so appreciated. Well, I appreciate your time and your investment in me today and your patience in helping me get everything technically uh, settled up so we can make it happen. And uh, I'm, I'm just honored to, to get to spend time with you. I admire what you do and, and how you do it at Innovate Her KC. I know I've been the beneficiary of taking advantage of your services. So to be able today to, to sit with you and discuss this has been just a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to sit in for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast sponsored by Fullscale.io. We will catch you again soon. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.